0: Chapter ten of Human Toll by Barbara Bainton This Librivox recording is in the public domain. When Ursula woke next morning, the once familiar sound of someone's personal washing outside on Jim's old stool, caused her to peep through the window. For many minutes she stood silently watching Boshy making his morning toilet. He, with everything else, was cruelly altered. The sparse grey locks he combed were fewer and greyer and though the accustomed mouth-circle was as obdurately set of old, his head waggled purposelessly, and his hands fumbled stiffly as he folded and replaced his pocket-comb. As of old, he took down his portable glass, hanging on a nail, and carefully wiping it, replaced it in its case. But instead of sending the water from the basin with a broad, well-directed swirl over the grass, he now poured it carefully into the drain. The girl only half-dressed, rushed out to him. Lovey. he looked at her steadily. "'Either you growed up, or I've growed down. Which is it?' With his eyes set on her face, his trembling hand sought hers. "'Your dear little hands. thank God, your little ends and feet's as same as ever. Oh, lovey, but I'm glad to see you, and we'll part no more.' "'We meet to part no more,' he sang joyfully now at the wrong time she could have wept wept with the violence of a winter sudden storm she drove her tongue to the roof of her mouth and set her teeth and trembling lips as she helped the bowed old man put on his coat learn plenty at school lovey s'pose you can make the noll memoriam in there all but talk boshy she said eager to divert him every one says i can't stay here now aunt's dead every one but mr Civil where to go to then lovey do they say to mina's mrs stein says i'll be quite welcome lovey there's an old saying and a true one that fish and friendship stinks in twenty-four hours the old man in there is old enough to be your grandfather and it'd be all right to you if he wasn't it's the cracked crockery you must take care on not the sound and there's a good many in this year same town is so busy a lookin' after other people's characters that they let their own goes to blazes i can understand because of em that young as you are and all as what he is you couldn't stay here on your lonesome but now i'm here my good boshy when did you come what an unexpected pleasure last night said boshy smiling grimly and taking the widower's outstretched hand "'Sorry to hear of your trouble, but well, we've all got to face the same music. Funny, though, but I suppose it's because it's such a dead certain that we don't waste no time a-thinkin' about it.' The widower wiped his little eyes with a black-bordered perfumed handkerchief and shook his head as one impressed. "'You're about a goin' to go to Stones's, asked Boshy at the breakfast table. Mr Sibyl's side jerked. "'No, I did not,' he answered there's no necessity for ursula to leave here mrs stein is a deep designing woman for once, i agree wi you, parson there is not the slightest necessity said boshy with blunt honesty old oh, mother stein didn't come down in the last shower he shook his head impressively he's got a art inside er knows what side to bite a bun why when they kept their wine shanty at you are? "'There was a sayin' that er could dose any man till he'd be deaf and dumb and blind for a month of Sundays. "'And, Lord, er'd skin a flea for its eyed and taller "'Not that there's anything against her for bein savin.' "'She's still a deep-designing woman,' repeated Mr. Civil fiercely. "'Well, let her be deep and—the other thing. "'I think men use her match, don't you?' inquired Boshy jocularly. Mr. Sibyl did not appear so sanguine, but with the coming of Boshy, Mrs. Stein stayed her hand. At first it seemed sufficient for Boshy to be near his lovey, but gradually he began to probe for her accomplishments. Chiefest to him was her music, and in this, of all, she shone least. The grief proprieties, in connection with her aunt's death, helped Ursula to stave Boshy's knowledge of this inefficiency but though she clambered through the Sunday school window to practise, it came. Sore was his disappointment, to find that after three, to quote him, "'Enormous, expensive ears!' Ersie could not play nearly as well as Bella Watson. "'Lord, lovey, I thought as you'd a licked her into a cock-tat in less'n no time, lovey!' gravely, "'You must have been a spongin' and a slungin' of your time, for you got more brains than any of em.' And your little anne's not a stretchin' far enough is any an excuse. He would listen in sad silence to her slow laboured efforts to play even a simple hymn. Lord, the way I been a blowin' and a boastin' and a blatherin' about your music Oh Lord, rattle into it, lovey, and makes believe as what you was only a gammonin as you couldn't. Then the notes would be wrong, Boshy. she said brokenly, for she felt his disappointment keenly. "'I wouldn't know. No more would none of em know, if they was wrong, lovey, if you could make a beller and and noise,' he assured her. To console him, she set her mouth, and battered from the wheezy old organ, a spirited effect of discords. "'Christ, if they was only right, what I'd give?' was his fervent comment, but his daily request for a repetition of her improvisation filled her with a nauseating dread yet he met any hostile remark about her loyally with how can you expect er, with her little hands to kick up the same row as you with your lanky triantelipes why look at her hands no more'n a musketeer meal was his offensive defence to mina and never trust a woman with long hands looking at hers and a little mouth full of teeth like a cross-cut saw i find they're just about as warm-hearted Daily Ursula would hear him muttering the sum total of a school cost that Cameron and he had sent. Then he took to morning rambles in the bush by himself, coming back at irregular hours, always weary, but in varying moods. "'Nothing to be got or made in this one-eyed ole,' with a smokeless afternoon, displayed one mood. "'Things isn't as good as they might be. Still, between pipe-puffs, they could be worse than what they is,' was the other. The girl instinctively felt that he told as much as he cared to, and forebode to question. She filled in every moment of his absence with strenuous determined efforts at the organ in the Sunday school. "'Come and listen, Boshy.' It was one of his self-denial afternoons. "'Listen to what?' he asked sulkily, for he had long ceased to ask her for music. "'Come on!' Taking him by the arm coaxingly, she led him into the sitting-room, and gave him a time varied rendering of one of his old favourite hymns then to her own setting my pretty pretty bird but that's not correct out of your book was his despondent comment i mean the im tunes ain't yes they are every note of the hymn and i made the other tune he sat down heavily oh lord god but i'm thankful he said solemnly I'll hunt no more for shank bones, nor orse hair, nor horns, nor nothin'. I've been a goin' off, and a gatherin' off, and a gettin' of em for months past, to send you back to learn proper, for it's a enormous expense and I brought but a few pounds wi me. I thinkin' as Azure would have left us both somethin'. Save me God, lovey I'd rather than a five pound note that you can play proper. Ho ho, I got the laugh of em now. Surely to goodness I have "'Lovey of mine, you'll break out yet. I always knowed you would. Gimme a pipe. I smoke off me shakes. Gimme a pipe. I'm all or a shake. See, holding out his trembling hands. But it's in real downright jay. He explained, as she soothingly held and stroked them, and it meant as much to her that he was content. Then passed a period in the girl's life when the present held in abeyance all thought for her future. The high-flown love scenes of her precocious reading had grafted into her mind certain ideals of both sexes, fortunately lifeless in law, though still alive in literature. Comparing those about her with such high-faluting heroines, she thought the only emotion she possessed was pity. She had this even for a snake being done to death, but immeasurably for this old man, who loved her only for Boshy was daily becoming more bent and breathless, and occasionally he had vacant intervals. Always after these he ignored the years that had passed, and would startle her by wild ambitious plans for their future when she would be grown up. Then he would take her to London. London's the only place for your brains, lovey. You're not a-goin to be no pot walloper, lovey o' mine, for none of em. No, no, not be long chalks. But as must wait till you grow up. "'You're only a little girl yet, lovey!' He would lie back muttering his plans for her brilliant future, then doze till roused by his falling pipe. She learned to watch, and at the right moment catch it, but the dread of it setting fire to him or the surroundings, sometime in her absence, used to fill her with sickening fear. Was it the same dread, she wondered, that caused his heart to beat with such violent breathlessness when he woke from his momentary slumbers? and why did he lift his arms above his head so often? To get her breath she had to raise hers, even while wondering. "'Are you sick, Boshy?' "'Me, lovey. What's put that nonsense into your little lad? your pretty little lad, Never was better in me life, nor stronger, but for a little bit of coal on me chest.' He paused breathlessly, and she, watching keenly and uneasily, noted the fluttering pulsations from the hollows of his sunken throat. Oh, Lor, Lovey! What an old woman you want to turn me into? Will you a rubbin' and a rootin' and a runtin' the turpentine into me old chest like this ere way? It wouldn't take much to rub them little mouses of ants away. And Lovey, from when you was in long clothes, you've had a breath like the smell of the scenty stock flowers what used to grow in me old granny's garden of England. Some used to call them gillyflowers. He explained, but sweet scenty stocks was the right name. Now don't rub off them little hands, but he opposed her treatment mildly for he loved the feel of her hands there's no mistake lovey of mine but you take takes unbeaten take ye all round he said looking with fatuous eye at the glow on her face from this exertion none of em can see yer dust lovey and there's no mistake but i'm ridiculous fond of yer and all as was and all will be When I was young, with two eyes in me head for a likely girl, first I'd look at her feet, then her hands, then her ears, and I must say, at home or abroad I never seen the eekle of yawn. Then, by ook or by crook, I'd managed to get a sniff of her breath. But, after a pause, what's Andra say about yer? "'Nothing, Boshy." "'Nothing?' Incredulously. "'No. "'Not even about yer an's?' "'No.' "'Ugh! the aegit. What's it matter? When us goes to London, us'll see who you'll get.' "'Andra!' Scornfully. "'Andra! He's in no position to marry, whichever way it goes. One comfort? You're want for nothin', thank God!' He was now breathlessly angry, and lay back panting, yet vowing disgusted threats against Andrew for a few days. After a short time she scarcely left him except for sleep, and even then she took on some of his conditions, and the smothered beating of her own overtaxed heart would waken her again and again through the night. Softly stealing to him, she would often find him, if awake, muttering some pleasant plans for their future, but always first they had to go back, for some obscure purpose, to the bush. Then one night she found him wandering about in terrible agitation, moist with an agony of fear, straining with eye and ear to discover someone outside with pick and shovel that he heard. For a time she could not soothe nor convince him that it was fancy. He was off that moment to protect something far away in danger. Oh my God, lovey! He would gasp, if anyone finds it and snavels it, what would you do? What would become of you? it'd soon cook me but what would become of you no no you must not stop me i must be off why would you leave me alone no weakly i wouldn't leave you lovey me to part no more he droned diverted tremulously clutching her but he would not go back to bed and again his fear returned to convince she led him to the window and together they looked out on the tranquil, empty night. He thrust his head forward, listening fearfully. "'Try. Can you hear anyone?' he pleaded. To humour him she obeyed, and her face grew ghastly, for above the thuds of his excited heart, audibly pounding into the night's stillness, she heard footsteps guardedly enter the house. "'What's it, lovey?' confidingly. "'How could she tell him?' for answer she put her arms round him and drew him back then spoke hopefully of andrew to him till he slept but gradually his sleep day or night was fear haunted by a near enemy with a pick and shovel he muttered guardedly about this dread at first but sometimes he shrieked it in uncontrollable agony lovey what woke you was it the knives of some one wi a pick and shovel All night she had sat outside his door, listening to him moaning or muttering or coughing. "'No, Boshy, you coughed.' "'Certain sure it wasn't nothing else. You wouldn't deceive me.' She was quite sure, kissing his moist brow, and she wouldn't deceive him. "'No, thank God, I can trust you,' he said, relieved. He was feverishly excited, but after a while he yielded and to please her lay down. "'Go you to bed, lovey of mine,' stroking her face with his shaking hands. "'Go and get your beauty sleep. Lovey, go and I tell you,' imperiously, and as ever she obeyed his old command. Her rest had been broken for weeks, but now she felt no inclination to sleep. Wide awake she was lying on her bed when distinctly she heard the front door stealthily opened. Boshy had not stirred she knew for his harsh cough now though it disturbed did not break his sleep of exhaustion again she heard the noise from outside also footsteps she sat up and listened breathlessly clank clank metallically came from outside the wall near boshy's bunk bed she rushed into his room he was sitting up his eyes protruding and his mouth helplessly open he raised his arms above his head then they fell uselessly by his side. But instantly she had hers round him, and wildly, as his heart beat, her own doled his. "Lovey," he panted. "'Hush, Boshy, dear. Wait till you're better,' she coaxed evasively. "'You heard, that time. Don't deny it,' he pressed, for she was silent. "'You heard? Lovey, own up!' "'Yes.' "'What?' he gasped, eagerly. "'I don't know, Boshy. "'Perhaps it was some stray dog or cat. "'No dogs or cats here, lovey. "'You keep still, Boshy, and I'll look out.' She opened the window. There by the wall near his head lay a pick and shovel. She instantly closed the window, and conquering her horror, said calmly, "'There's nobody, Boshy, not a soul, and it's nearly morning.' "'Yes, there's the cocks a-crowin,' he agreed. "'And I'm fair-winded,' he panted, lying down, for the dawn seemed to reassure him. "'And, lovey, us'll have some breakfast, and that'll pick us up. Soon as I pick up a bit we'll be out of this. That sort of thing's been a goin' on for some time.' Again he listened for outside sounds. "'Our name will soon be Walker, won't it?' "'Very soon,' she soothingly assured him. "'Sleep now, while I get your breakfast,' she suggested, straightening his bed, and bathing his worn face that showed its unfitness to rise. When he dozed she went into the kitchen to make tea for him, going first to where she had seen the pick and shovel, but they were gone. Later he made several brave attempts to rise and walk about, and when overcome by breathlessness made light of the cause. He wanted no doctor's medicine. "'Every dose is a nail in your coffin, and what's worse, a pound in the doctor's pocket.' This view he shared in common with the ex-parson, who daily recounted instances of speedy and inexpensive recoveries without skilled aid and the reverse with it. Against both, the girl's gentle demands were powerless. Besides, the fears of the young lived easily, and Ursula knew nothing of sickness gradually and not without a great fight boshy gave up his pipe but he instructed her to put his tobacco carefully into his pickle bottle with a cut potato to keep it from undue dryness again i get myself again lovey shaving that morning he had gashed his cheek with the razor something bumped me elbow he said come now reassuringly you look and see lovey me hand's as steady as the rock of ages He made a brave but futile effort to steady his extended hand. "'It's not as steady as it might be,' he sadly admitted, as she took the razor from his shaking, uncertain hand. "'Drink this. It will do you good, Boshy,' but his hand seemed scarcely able to hold the cup. "'Not yet. I'm not thirsty. But by and by, when I steady up a bit,' he promised, turning his face away, wishful to hide its trouble and his disability boshy let me feed you like you used to feed me long ago she coaxed understanding he smiled with grim bravery and thinking to humour her gave her the spoon when she had finished sev me goodness lovey kissing her hands but you're a pottyin of me and me a full-tooth weener he bantered adding with a flicker of his old manner i else know them little lambs was well able to feed emselves but they just wanted to have someone as they was fond of a foolin round and after a cough in that respect i'm no better'n them he was silent for a while with an introspective aloofness on his face which seemed grey and drawn when he spoke lovey as true as god i've seen and known a wild dingo act the tame dog till he fooled the rest of the other dogs and me and all of a sudden one night my god to see the way he mangled them poor unfortunate lambs, next mornin' to see the way them poor old mother yells looked at me, much as to say, if they'd been yer own flesh and blood, you wouldn't a risked it. For from first to last, they never trusted the dingo, and I know now in the art, I never trusted him neither. He was very excited and exhausted, and the perspiration gathered and ran on his forehead, lovey. "'I often see your mother's eyes a-looking at me the same.' Ursula laid her cheek on his tremulous mouth. "'Oh, Boshy, my mother could not—she could not. "'You've been mother and father to me—both—both,' both, she said brokenly. "'I don't know, lovey, but I ought to tell you all I know, and I will some day. "'Please God, I will—and that afore long.' This resolution soothed him and he went to sleep. Next day, after a breakfast, which Boshy made a determined but vain effort to eat, the two were sitting silently in his room when Mr Sibyl came in. His manner to Ursula of late had undergone an indeterminate change. Courtesy had almost become familiarity. His—my dear—gave her a convulsive shiver. Still, she made no spoken sign of aversion for already she was experiencing the inequality of her struggle to alter the thing that is. But though she acknowledged the personality of his, my dear, she never looked at him. Today, when he left the room, she followed him. Boshy is very ill. And now she looked at him steadily as she spoke. Not worse than usual, I hope. He didn't look at her. Much worse. What about a doctor? I'll go across and tell him there was a challenge in her tones i'll go myself i'll go at once he promised and a little later she saw him leave when she went back boshy was again lying down lovey you oughtn't to go a giddin an a gaddin about when i want yer he complained huskily she covered his gnarled blue hands then wiped the tears of lonely grief from his cheeks kissing him again and again Till in penitence,' he said, "Save me goodness, if you're out of me sight for a moment. I think you've been gone for hours and hours, and that I'll never see you again. "'I'm going to stay with you all day, Boshy.' "'That's the talk. But get your stitchin', lovey, and don't be a idlin' of your time. But I forgot, you're not one of the stitchin' sort, are you, lovey? And them dear little lands was never made for work, but—condolingly— "'Never mind. I'm content with yer "'There's none of them with all their fancy stitchin' "'I'd a swap or change yer for. "'What's Andrew say about em lovey? "'I mean, the littleness of yer hands.' "'Nothing, Boshy.' He grew irritable at once. "'Well, he's got no money anyways. "'No, he's got no money.' He ceased speaking, but Ursula saw that he was distressfully deep in thought. "'But, lovey, make no mistake.' andrew has got no money now. "'But he will have it. "'He's... <coughs> "'Old man. "'Cameron Cameron's cunninger than any dingo. "'He get off with your daddy's papers, "'and no doubt all his money that time. <coughs> "'When he come for yer, "'But, lovey, wait till he comes of age, "'and us'll show him as... "'He lay back, panting and coughing. "'After a painful effort, "'he swallowed a mouthful that she held to his lips, and despite her entreaties began again what does Andra talk to you about he hardly speaks to me boshy ah lovey you oughtn't to tell me what's not true i often see him a lookin at you he would if you encouraged him you know he's not the talkin sort he was bitterly disappointed but he waved her into silence when she sought to explain you see (coughs) can't expect to live for yever and yever, and supposin' I were gone. What then?' Again he motioned her, not to interrupt. "'I'm ale and ardy at present, but lovey of mine, I'm a good ten years older on what any of em knows. Spose for argument's sake, anything happen to me?' Gasping mortally, he repeated, "'What then, lovey?' For answer she bowed her head beside him so that he could not see her stricken face, then laid her head on his, but only for a moment. Even there his heart seemed to be throbbing. "'For my sake, sleep, Boshy,' she pleaded, then stroked his brow till he slept, though lightly, and with an ease that almost disarmed her, till he began, as ever, to mutter about a pick and shovel. "'Waking suddenly,' he asked. "'Lovey?' Ever ear tell of Scrammy and? Then irrelevantly i got plenty to do up there, lovey. Soon as I get round a bit, we must be off. There's plenty for you to know, and I'll take you and show of ye the very exact spot. What have I been tellin yer he asked abruptly, with a return to his old secretiveness. Only about us going away. He seemed relieved. Sooner or later you must know, but lovey, not one word out of your lips to no one. Remember a still tongue makes a wise head. she promised, didn't I tell you about Scrammy and and a frightin the old shepherd to death for his money? No, well, can you recollect a earin anything of it up at Cameron Cameron's? No Bohy, good God, then sposin I should some day be a cooker, you don't know nothin nor wherein a penny is to be found, Lord above me, raising up his hands what am i a-goin to do yer if so be as i shouldn't pull round don't boshy don't worry i'm all right oh lord yer you know no more an sucking dove what's afore yer breathless and weary he lay back but staggered up and with sudden determination began preparations for their journey on the morrow the futility of it stung her keenly yet to humour him she made pretence of help but he was soon exhausted "'Oh, Lord, me ole art seems all of a skew If he panted complainingly, lying down, but from his bed he directed her. Me boots, lovey. Don't forget em, lovey. But—' "'Anxiously. What about a wearin' of them?' For days his swollen feet had worn only socks. "'Cut them and let them out, Boshy,' she suggested humoringly. "'By Evans, them good boots!' He was indignant at her proposal. "'Leeches'll do the trick, lovey, and take down me feet. I'd soon git sandy Blood in me eels a-wearin' and a-walkin' in boots now.' He dozed, and again woke to ask the same question about Scrammy And. "'Recollect all about Scrammy And, lovey?' She nodded. "'Anne,' shaking a warning finger at her, "'and that a still tongue makes a wise ed, and that a dog as brings a bone or curry one back so listen to no yarns nor tell none." She would be careful. "'Oh, yes,' querulously, while well, I'm a-next an a-near a-nigher." She tried to stroke the trouble from his brow, but he moved his head for her to cease. "'Not now, not now. You listen to what I say, I'm a-goin to tell you.' He sat up, but she caught and held his swaying body, and gradually the effort to concentrate weakened him into forgetfulness. With half-closed eyes and open mouth, he slept for a few moments. "'What about a pick and shovel?' he asked, sitting up the moment he waked. She said she could soon get them. "'Not out there, lovey. In the name of God, not out there or civil'll drop down. Is a watchin'. "'Not out there,' she promised. He then kept waiting for her to unfold her alternative. "'Where else can you get them then?' get what boshy oh my lord he moaned there you are you forget everything you won't try to recollect a thing he thrust out his hands and frantically fastened his fingers in his hair i've left it too late what will she do what will she do loosening his hands and wiping away his tears she begged him to be calm and trust her she remembered everything he had ever told her every word everything she emphasised now let's see what you do know then, he said suspiciously. Begin with Scrammy and she stipulated anxiously. Right are,' he encouraged. She went on. Who frightened the old shepherd to death for his money? Lovey, talk little, he whispered, drawing her face down to him. Lovey think Scrammy got the old shepherd's money? Yes, taking her cue intuitively stick to that lovey of mine joyfully think thee was much eagerly she thought so ah yes complainingly then sagely remember what comes over the devil's back goes under his belly and a narrow gatherin often gets a wide scatterin recollect that now go on her face was crimson and her breathing as strenuous as his own but strive as she would she could not mentally even, stumble along with the desired description. "'Come now. Where'd you think Scrammy?' Dropping his voice. "'Or me. I planted it. Speak little, as you used to say.' "'Rest now,' she coaxed. "'Rest? Me rest?' he repeated angrily. "'Rest you you nut no nothing. Come now, lovey. Don't be lazy. Where do you think the money was planted?' "'I don't know.' She wailed, "Oh my God! What'll I do? What'll I do?" In a frenzy of purpose, he stood up. Ursula, facing him, rose also. "Go back to when you was little," he commanded. "Can't you see nungie and Kleeby and your father afore he was buried, and the yells and lambs and the wattle flowers, and you a chewin' and a chawin' of the wattle gum and a gatherin' of the five corners?" Five corners, corrected she, going back. Go on. He implored, suddenly breathless, "'Go on, lovey!' Her visualising eyes were fastened on his hypnotic face. Hers grew ghastly with intensity. "'I can see a little river.' "'Creek, lovey!' But unheeding she went on. "'I can see a little river. On the other side there's a hut with no door, and the roof nearly off.' "'Twas, but not now. Someone has a burnt most on it.' she interrupted, but almost under his breath. "'Over away from it,' waving her hand indicatively. "'There are some trees.' "'Them's the miles, lovey. Under them, I—' Straining her head forward, "'Can see two graves. Your mothers and fathers, and the old shepherds. "'The palings are down, and some men are there. They—' Doubtfully she tiptoed yes they have picks and shovels they they stumblingly but boshy was speechless yes they are throwing up the dirt they are opening the grave a choking squeal from boshy silenced her christ god me money they found me ma in the old helpless manner he threw up his arms she staggered but caught his swaying body and slid with it to the ground then Though she loosened his neck, his laboured breath reached only halfway up his throat. As though spent, it sighed in a thwarted throttle. Aided, it rose again successively in a seething gurgle that forced his mouth apart. She caught and rested his helpless head against her shoulder, and listened. But he was still. Then she wiped the blood from his nose and mouth. Drops had fallen on her hands and wrists, but they were left. Mina, coming in later, could not distinguish the living from the dead. End of chapter 10